Father, I it really is amazing that we have it in black and white and uh, and I do pray that uh, as we grow in our love for you we will grow in our love for your word um, and Lord as we look at it today and we look at another issue of sin in the Corinthian church we just want to say thank you that you're a God of uh, just uh, unapproachable light and yet, uh, and judgment, and yet uh, tempered by your grace. And we're so thankful for our standing before you in Christ. Lord, today we just want to pray again for Pastor Mike as he preaches, that you would uh, speak through him uh, in the power of your spirit. We also pray the same for Pastor Adam as he preaches uh, in Rancho Cordova this morning. Please... Uh, empower him, uh, free him to speak uh, boldly, even in a place where you know doesn't necessarily know a lot of people and not familiar with just the situation that particular church is in. I just pray that your word will uh, soften hearts here and there and uh, wherever it's preached this morning. That uh, uh, yeah, that you will speak with power. Ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, First Corinthians six, verse twelve. All things are lawful for me, but all things, not all things, are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, who will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Thanks be to God for his word. Did he steal our line there? He did, yeah. Did he steal our line? (laughs) That was the word of the Lord. Ah, yes, yes, all right. He was so excited about God's Word. Appreciate that, Don, and the hunger that we have for it. It's one of my prayers for you and for myself, that you would not be here uh, just waiting for a sermon to be over, but that you would be hungry to hear from the Lord uh, through His Word. Uh, I'm still excited from last Sunday, watching those four uh, young people uh, get baptized. 
Uh, can I get an amen? Or is it, those of you that were here last week, was that just beautiful? Um, so just a beautiful uh, Sunday last week. We, we are going to do baptisms again, if you were here uh, last week, or if you weren't here last week, and you have uh, come to faith in the Lord Jesus and haven't obeyed him yet in the waters of baptism, uh, we're going to be doing that again in uh, November or uh, December, late November, early December. So you can check that on your prayer cards um, as, as well. well. Last week we uh, took a, uh, a break from 1 Corinthians and we had a standalone sermon on a baptism. And today we come back to our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. And let me just kind of re- do a little review here. As Don just alluded to, there are a whole mess of problems in the Corinthian church. Churches have problems. Congregations have problems. And the first problem that we looked at in Corinth, uh, or the first problem in the book itself, is division in the church. And I summarize this, uh, my pastor is better than your pastor. Uh, They were arguing over um, who who was better, Paul or Apollos, and there were factions and divisions in the Corinthian church. And instead of rejoicing in the word and in the gospel, that was being served to them by these leaders, they were, they were idolizing the leaders. So this was the first problem, division in the, in the church. And then the second problem was accommodation in the church. We had this headline-grabbing uh, incident where uh, most likely the father is out of the scenario and an adult son is living with his stepmother as though he is married to her. These are probably uh, prominent people in the church. Just a crazy thing. But the problem is that the church was okay with this. The church was accommodating sin in the church. It was okay. And they're distancing themselves from sinners outside the church. They're doing exactly the opposite of what the apostle instructed them in his previous correspondence and previous communication. So that's problem two. Problem number three, the first part of chapter six was lawsuits in the church. And the issue here was, I'm going to sue my fellow brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to sue a fellow Christian uh, because I uh, was, was ripped off or whatever, and I want to get this money. And Paul is saying, you're showing by doing this that your greatest love is money, and you should actually uh, be willing to be wronged for the sake of the gospel and not go to court, uh, particularly a secular court, between believers. So this problem was actually, in our preaching schedule, was the very first sermon. You might remember um, the very end of that section, verses 1 through 11, Paul gets into sexual immorality again. And so the very first sermon that was preached in the series was that. And so that brings us to today, the second part of chapter 6. And what we have here, the problem that is going on in, in their minds or in their theology is a devaluation of the human body. Uh, they they uh, are saying, in essence, I'm free to eat what I want, and they're making this conclusion and step, and I'm free to sleep with who I want. What I do with my body doesn't really matter. It's this overemphasis on the mind and the heart and what is going on in the soul, and so what we are doing outwardly really doesn't matter. This is the problem that we're going to look at today. And I want to begin uh, looking at verse 19. We're going to 
start looking, uh, we're going to start kind of with the end of the passage today, and then we'll go back up to verse 12. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? The very first thing he says here in verse 19, this expression, do you not know? He actually says this phrase 10 times in 1 Corinthians. And we could paraphrase it, uh, surely you've already uh, learned this, right? And in actuality, the Corinthians haven't each of these times. In fact, let's look at a couple of them. If you just look back up at verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members Your bodies are hands and feet of Christ himself. Do you not know that? And then he says it again in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? These are things that they didn't understand because they had this false theology or this false ideology that what we do, this is at least a group within the Corinthians church has this idea that what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter. It just doesn't matter. And so we have this, what I think is just an astonishing statement in verse 19. Part of the reason I'm beginning here. Because I think, although we don't have the same issue of a, that we have this massive de-emphasis on the physical and this massive emphasis on the spiritual or what's inside, we, we may not have that. I think we do have a devaluation of the human body. In, in, in our church and in, in our day, in our culture is what I mean. Uh, I, I've heard um, many of us talk about our bodies in derogatory ways. Haven't we? We have. Especially as we get older and they don't work so well. And, uh, and, and the reality is that that's not, that's not okay to speak about our bodies that way. Um, look at verse 19. Do you not know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? The, the emphasis in this passage, they're, they're dealing, Paul is dealing with the sexually immoral issue here. That's the outworking of it. That's the sin. But the issue is here is a devaluation of the human body. It is described as a temple, a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Just up there a few verses, it says that the Lord is for the body. He is for your body and my body. We don't have a temple, a building to go to today where the presence of God Um, tends to rest. He rests in his members, you and me. We are his hands and feet. And our bodies are important. The uh, Heidelberg Catechism, uh, catechism, easy for me to say, uh, asks this question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit that dwells in my temple, in your temple. First, he, as well as the Father and the Son, is eternal God. The Holy Spirit is eternal God. Second, he has been given to me personally 
so that by true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his blessings comforts me and remains with me forever. The Holy Spirit has been given to you if you're a believer and to me personally. That is the emphasis in this text. And the emphasis is is on your body personally. Often the New Testament is emphasizing the corporate presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church or in the life of the congregation. But here it is the individual. Do you not know that your body is a temple? I want this to hit us this morning. If you're like me, it's very easy to forget this truth and to complain, and to be dissatisfied, and even some of us to hate our bodies. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. This, this teaching in 1 Corinthians 6, we could go back to Genesis 1 and see there that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. This is the foundation for this teaching uh, that theologians refer to as the Imago Dei, that that human beings are uniquely made in the image of God, that we have creative powers. We, We are unlike anything else in creation. Genesis 1 and the Imago Dei is referring to all that we are, our bodies, soul, everything. But 1 Corinthians 6 is focusing on the temple, on the body, on the physical body that you and I have. want to uh, introduce you. You probably don't know uh, this guy. Anybody know uh, Anthony Gaudi? We have any architects here? You do, huh? Anybody know this guy? Unless you're an architect, you probably wouldn't know Anthony Gaudi. He's known as God's architect. He was a Spaniard, and he is famous for what is the world's uh, longest-running construction project that's still going. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a project and you, uh, you say, honey, it's going to take this long, and it ends up taking... Anybody, anybody ever had, had, everybody had that? It goes, in, in our previous congregation, uh, lots of people build their own, built their own homes. And one family, seven years, physically building their home, living in a single-wide trailer, as they built this large, large home that that, uh, is enjoyed a lot now by the church family over there, but seven years. Well, Gaudi uh, designed and is the architect for the Sagrada Familia, this building, this church in Barcelona, Spain. And uh, it's still over 130 years. It has been in progress of being built, and it is still, anybody been to Barcelona? Anybody been there? Anybody been there? Uh, it's still in the process of being built. Now, if a picture's worth a thousand uh, words, uh, a video's worth about 10,000. So I'm going to show you just a quick video of this building. This is from 2013, uh, from 60 Minutes. Take a look at this. We'll continue in a moment. When Pope Benedict came to the Sagrada Familia two years ago, it was the first time Mass had ever been held here. In an ancient tradition as old as the Catholic Church, 
he consecrated the Sagrada Familia as a basilica. Not since 1883, when it was envisioned by Anthony Gaudi, had it been seen in all its glory. 800 voices filled the air, one of the largest choirs in the world. And close to 7,000 people gathered, celebrating a moment that had taken 128 years to arrive. While the inside is mostly finished, outside there's still much to be done. You can see the spires and construction cranes for miles. Watch as this picture moves in from above. Those tiny figures below are people, dwarfed by the massive facade rising from the main entrance of the church. I know you all want to keep watching this, but we got to come back to a sermon. I knew this was going to be a problem. Why, why, am I showing this, um, why am I showing this to you? Um, the reason that I've shown this to you is I believe that you and I have a tendency to look at a building like this that was Antony's intention and be pointed to God. We have the tendency to look at a sunset like this last week, some amazing sunsets this last week, and be pointed to see the glory of God, and, 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 and this is right, and this is good. But I want to say the reason I showed this video today is to say if we are carefully reading our Bibles, what we should be gazing upon and seeing as the most magnificent of God's works of creation is my body, your body. Beyond this 130-year construction project, Heidi, how would you like to direct that worship team? 800 choir? That would be a, it'd be a hard time getting in my office up there, coming down here uh, before. The human body is the most beautiful and valuable created thing in the universe. Aside from the Lord, aside from the scriptures, look at verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The Lord is for the body, the physical body. The Greek word here is soma. He is for your soma and my soma. He is for it. Augustine uh, wrote this. I, he, uh, he, he, he gets this. He writes, um, I skipped my first point there. Your body's value and beauty are infinitely higher than that of the Sagrada Familia. This is why I showed the video. Biblically speaking, it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> it doesn't feel like your body or my body is, is, is valuable and more beautiful than a building. But it's true. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's how Augustine uh, describes it in the Confessions. He, he says, Men go to gape at mountain peaks, at the boundless tides of the sea, the broad sweep of the rivers, the encircling ocean, and the motions of the stars. And yet they leave themselves unnoticed. They do not marvel at themselves. He goes on in another place. 
I want to read, uh, read this to you in, um, in the City of God. He writes this, and you have to remember in his day there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, anatomical uh, study and science that has gone on uh, in his day. And, and, and he understands that, and he writes this. He says, it is clear that every organ whose function we know adds to the body's beauty. And this beauty would be still more obvious if only we knew the precise proportions by which parts were fashioned and interrelated. I do not mean merely the parts on the outside, which no doubt can be accurately measured by anyone with proper skill. I mean the parts hidden below our skin, the intricate complex of veins and nerves, the inmost elements of the human viscera, our internal organs, he means, and vital parts whose rhythmic relationships have not yet been revealed. Surgeons, of course, have done something in their relatively crude anatomical study of corpses and in the course of their almost inhuman operations on living bodies. I could have left that out, but I went ahead and read that anyway. Um, To explore the last recesses of the organs they have had to handle in order to learn the best technique in dealing with this or that disorder. But what I have in mind is the rhythm of relationships, the harmonia, as the Greeks would say, whereby the whole body, inside and out, can be looked upon as a kind of musical instrument with a melody all its own. The beauty of this music no one has yet discovered because no one has dared look for it. Nevertheless, if this total uh, organic design could only be discerned even in the seemingly ugly elements of the human viscera, there would be revealed to the soul so ravishing a beauty that no visible shapeliness of form that delights the eye, the mere minister of our mind, could be compared with it. Augustine understands how the Bible emphasizes the preciousness and the beauty, the sacredness, the temple quality of the human body. He's focusing on the insides of it. So, let's come back now to our text. And I want to go back up to verse 12 and start up there and we'll work our way back. You see the emphasis Uh, on the passage this morning, but let's go back up to verse 12 now, okay? Follow along with me uh, in your Bibles. Paul writes there, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So what's going on here in verse 12 is Paul is, this is the first of three quotations that he is responding to false quotations, false theology that is operating in this faction in the church in Corinth. And he's responding to them. This is the first one. And the first one is everything is permissible for me. So this is the theology, the operational theology in this group within the church of Corinth. We can do whatever we want. Everything's permissible because what's, all that really matters is the spiritual and the immaterial. But Paul responds to that, no. Not everything is beneficial. And what he means is not everything is beneficial for the kingdom of God. 
Our purpose is to love God and to love our neighbor. And so this is what guides what we do in the physical realm. We're not just completely free. They are overreading the freedom that they have from the law. So that's verse 12. Verse 13. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the second quotation here is, is, is this one, food for the stomach. Food for the stomach. And let me show you this um, in uh, a translation here on the screen. Most of our translations put it this way, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Put that in the quote. This is the false theology. This is the slogan that the Corinthians have. And then Paul is responding to that. That's the way the NIV has it. I think that's the way the ESV has it. Most of our translations have that. But it is difficult to know where the quote ends. Okay? And so some put the quote here, like the New English translation. And I think this is the way to read verse 13. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with them, with both of them. In other words, the Corinthians theology in this group within the church at Corinth, they're saying, you know, we get to eat whatever we want. We're free from these Old Testament laws about food. It doesn't really matter what we eat. And God's going to do away with both of them. And so then Paul's response is what comes after that in verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So the response that Paul is giving is saying, no, you're misunderstanding it's fundamentally different. Yeah, the body is meant for food, but it's not meant for sexual immorality. And that's what's going on in this faction within the church at Corinth. So he's correcting their, uh, their mistake, their false theology, and he's quoting, he's quoting them. So let's jump down to one, uh, one additional uh, quote, which is... Um, well, let me, let me just read um, so, so I don't get too confused. I get confused sometimes. All right, so here we are. Verse, uh, verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? No way is what he's saying. Don't you know this? Never, never. He may be exaggerating, like this may not be the exact form of sexual morality that's going on there. He's just trying to show them. We, we don't know exactly what was going on, what he's referring to. He's using a generic term. He's trying to change their, their theology and their way they live. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Run from sexual immorality, uh, another translation has. Get away from it. And, and we need to let this verse land on us too. I, I'm going mostly today with this theme of, of the human body, yet this is a major theme of this passage. Uh, men and women, if we um, are alone or we are with someone else or we are in front of a computer screen or a TV screen, Verse 18 is an important verse when temptation comes that you flee, that you run, that there is no gray zone here. There is no mingling. There's no, no uh, closeness. You, you, you run and you flee from this. So we're all good on the beginning of verse 18 and understanding it. Now, now the second part of verse 18 is this third quotation. 
that's controversial. Let me read it, and I'm reading from, from, uh, the, uh, from the NIV, the second part of verse 18. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So there's two ways to understand this passage. One of them is the way that I just read it. And Paul is distinguishing between sexual sin and other kinds of sin. And all other kinds of sin are outside the body. So that could be what's going on here. And that's the way most of our our translations have it. That's probably the way. Does does anybody's translation uh, take this as a quotation mark? So, so this is a huge interpretive issue, and I hope I'm not losing you all here, but this is, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand. If Paul is saying something, and this is scripture, and this is to inform how we are to live, or if this is false theology from the Corinthians that he's correcting, whether we put quotation marks around this or not is huge, okay? This is huge. And I'm saying that most of our translations have gotten this verse wrong. And there's actually been massive consequences, not just from this verse, but massive consequences in church history where shame and sexual intimacy, even in the context of marriage, has been looked down upon in part, I think, because of a wrong understanding of this passage as well as as other passages. So let me help you see here how difficult this is with the quotation marks. So we're kind of shifting into lecture mode. Am I losing you? Am I losing you? Are you with me, church? Okay, so I'm, I'm giving you a little background stuff here that you maybe weren't expecting to look at ancient New Testament texts this morning, right? But we're going to do that really briefly, all right? So this is a picture of the oldest copy of the New Testament that exists in the world. It's called the John Ryland's Fragment. Scholars call it P52. Everybody has their own language. So, so textual scholars will talk about P52, and everybody knows what you're talking about. P52. It's not an airplane. Is there an airplane P52? Anyway, this, this is what this is referred to. P52, it's from about the year 125, and you're looking here at the front and the back of it, and it's from John's Gospel. So this is the, we don't have the actual Gospel that John wrote on. We don't have the actual paper that he wrote on. This is the closest thing of anything in the New Testament we have to an original autograph. Now, you can't see that that well, so I got another one up here. This is from uh, John's Gospel also, P66, from around the year 200. And I'm going to zoom in on this. And this relates to our passage here, so just hang with me. So if we zoom in on this, notice the quotation marks. There are none. Notice the commas. There are none. Notice... The periods, there are none. Notice the space between words. There are none. This was precious. Uh, Paper was precious. Papyri, uh, Papyri was precious. So you have no spaces between words. We have no quotation marks. We have small, what we think of as small letters and big letters. Those aren't invented yet. So it wasn't that they left the small letters out. All they had were uncials, what, what scholars call uncials. All they had were capital letters. So that, that, that's it. This is what it looked like when John sat down and wrote, when Paul, Paul used a scribe or amanuensis to write his letters. This is what it looked like when they wrote. So scholars have a hard time to do their work to figure out where a quote begins and where a quote ends. 
All right, you with me? A couple of you are sleeping. Most of you, some of you are with me. Okay, so all that to say, now back to our passage. This is how the HCSB, and I think rightly, and a few other translations, the New English translation, take verse, chapter 6, verse 18. So we all agree on the first part, run, flee from pornea, from sexual morality. Don't mess with it. You've you got to run from this. The Corinthians were like, it doesn't really matter what we do with our bodies. It just matters what's in our heart. No, that part's good. But now we have the third quote from this false theology that's going on inside of Corinth. Every sin, every sin a person can commit is outside the body. In other words, all, 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 the only sins that, that really matter are those sins that are a spiritual or, or, or inside uh, the heart. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. What we do with the body doesn't really matter. That's the gist. So the response then is Paul saying, on the contrary, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. So this is not a verse, I think, and, and others believe, I'm not alone in this, a verse that distinguishes sexual sin apart from all other sin. Of course, it is terrible. I don't want to minimize it, but that's not what the text is doing here. It's setting it apart from all other kinds of sin. All right, you tracking with me? You got that? Okay, we're coming, coming uh, toward, uh, toward an end and toward a close here. In fact, I want to now jump to just the last few verses again. Um, we began in verse 19, and let's, uh, let's go back to verse 19 and finish these last couple verses. Uh, let me read it again. Do you not know that your body is a temple, temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Your body is not your own. You were bought at a price. Your body and my body is not only a temple, but it does not ultimately belong to me if you are a Christian. It does not ultimately belong to you if you are a Christian. It was bought at a price. And so, second point to be very brief here, your body's cost of redemption is infinitely higher than that of that magnificent cathedral, that building we looked at in Barcelona. In uh, 19, uh, what year was it? 1936, the uh, Spanish Civil War destroyed that building in Barcelona. And it had to be rebuilt. It had to be redeemed. It had to be restored. And your body and my body needs to be restored. Amen? That's the part we get, right? Especially as we get older. We know that it needs to be restored. We know that it needs to be redeemed. And the cost of our body's redemption and of our soul's redemption is infinitely more than building some building like that. That building can be wiped out, but your body and my body cannot be. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. The imagery here, what would be in the first century reader's mind would be the imagery of slavery. You were bought at a price. This is the slave language here. And slavery, although it's a wicked thing in, in all generations and all centuries, slavery was very different in the first century than the slavery we had in the United States that was based on white supremacy and was based on racism. So we have to imagine a slavery without any of that. It was still a wrong thing. I'm not saying it's good. But the slavery in the first century was a kind of slavery where a free man 
would sometimes voluntarily choose to sell himself into the slavery of someone else because that slave owner was so noble and so honorable and so gracious. And the way that he treated his servants or his slaves was, was a beautiful thing. And so it was an upgrade in Roman society for some people to move from being free to being someone's slave. And this is the imagery that is behind the statement, you are not your own. Your body is not your own. It was bought at a price. And you know the price that was paid. The price that was paid was Jesus' death and suffering to redeem your body and to redeem my body and soul. All of us as a human. All all of us. uh, All that we are as human beings. The emphasis again here is on the body. But we need to think of our bodies as precious temples that Jesus died for. Therefore, honor God with your body. Final Final thing I want to say uh, today is that your body's ability to endure is infinitely higher than that of the Sagrada Familia, that, that cathedral, that basilica. Um, we, we are all too familiar with the weakening and decaying of our bodies. But look again at verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord the Lord Jesus, from the dead. It was a bodily resurrection. It it wasn't just some, he started over, hit the reset button. There's a continuity between his body before he died and his glorified, resurrected body. God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. He's going to raise your body. He's going to raise my body in some amazing way miraculous way all of those who have died in christ before us will be resurrected in some miraculous and amazing way in the new heavens and the new earth our bodies are our temples of the holy spirit they're more beautiful than any cathedral in the world they're made in the image of god i'm going to say one more thing i'll close with this one of my uh, favorite professors in seminary, I had him in his last, last decade of, of life. Uh, was a man named Howard Hendricks. Many of you uh, may, have, may have heard of him. And uh, he, in his last years, uh, lost his eyesight. He had uh, brain surgery, uh, brain cancer, if my memory's right. He had all kinds of things failing. But Prof uh, Hendricks, uh, we refer to him as Prof, he, like Augustine, understood the value and the preciousness and the beauty of the human body and how it, how it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Prof. Hendricks, uh, we, we thought he was a little bit crazy at first, but he's kind of like Augustine. The guy would actually go to hospitals. He had friends who were doctors, and they would, you know, surgeons, and he, it would sneak him in, and he'd watch surgeries. I just remember thinking, this guy's nuts. Like, who does that for fun? And then he'd come and talk to us about it. Like Augustine, I think he had an understanding of the beauty of the soma, of the body. And he saw it as a pointer to the Lord. The way I see sunsets and the Sierra and even a building like in Barcelona, but I have a hard time seeing the body that way. It's the way Prof. Hendricks saw the body. He said, the Bible declares that there is as much hope for your body 
as for your soul. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, I want to pray right now for some of us here who really uh, dislike our bodies. Um, Maybe we are, although we may not say it out loud, dissatisfied in the way that you made us, the way we look, the lack of gifts that we have when it comes to physicality. Lord, I want to pray for those of us here, maybe we have abused our bodies. Lord, we ask that you would give us a right perspective on the human body. We know it is important. You describe it as a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to glorify you with our bodies. And so again, I want to pray for those who have an exceedingly low view of their bodies. And I pray that right now, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that they might even at this moment be seeing their bodies in a, in a new way, in a way that sees that you, as the divine designer, made, made me. You made me. You knit us together. Lord, we're thankful for the bodies that you've given us. And we ask as a church that we would increasingly be the kind of people who use our bodies to bring you lots and lots of glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand together and continue in worship.